You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to episode 249 of the Freedom Pact podcast. Today on the show, I am joined by Amy Chan. For most people, going through a heartbreak will be one of the most significant and traumatic experiences that one can go through in a lifetime. What makes breakups so bad is that even after someone gets over the emotional pain, which can be really significant, is that it's quite possible to be traumatized by an ex to the point that it makes it really difficult to move on from them. People can become bitter and distrusting, and of course, we don't want that. We want the good stuff. So we brought Amy on here today to help. Amy Chan is the founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp, a retreat that takes a scientific and spiritual approach to healing the heart. Amy is the editor-in-chief of Heart Hackers Club, an online magazine that focuses on the psychology behind love, lust, and desire. Amy's company has been featured across national media, including Good Morning America, Vogue, Glamour, Nightline, and it also made the front page of the New York Times. Not bad. Also, Amy's book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, which is particularly pertinent to this conversation today, is out now. In this conversation today, Amy and I discuss a variety of topics that range from what led Amy to helping people, so many people, heal from heartbreak? Why do breakups hurt so much? What is happening to the body biologically during a breakup? That part really blew my mind. Why you're not crazy for making bad decisions post-breakup? And we've all seen people make very crazy decisions after a breakup. The worst thing that you can do after a breakup, the dangers of not moving on from your ex, the scientific and spiritual method to heal from heartbreak. Can you heal from heartbreak whilst you're in a new relationship with a new partner? How to stop picking the wrong partners, overcoming self-sabotage, and much, much more. This interview is also up in video format on our YouTube channel. There's a link below in the description if you wish to check that out. So guys, without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Amy Chan. You're known as the Chief Heart Hacker, uh, but I would love to, a title I love by the way, but I would love to kind of know uh, what was it that I guess led you on this journey in the first place? Yeah, um, well, the one area of my life I kept struggling with was love. And I just couldn't get it right. And so I first dived into being a relationship columnist because I figured if I could understand the science and psychology of relationships, maybe I wouldn't get dumped and heartbroken all the time. Um, and then one day I finally, I was in a, a, a relationship and we were on the path of what my version of happily forever after was, which was date, get married, have children. Uh, I would work on the side. He would be the breadwinner. Like that was my dream. And, and then one day that dream fell apart. The relationship ended very suddenly. And I had put so much of my identity in him and us and this future I had mapped out that without it, I just didn't know who I was. I completely fell apart and I spiraled into depression. I had suicidal thoughts. It was a really dark place. And it took me quite a while to heal from that. I'd say about two and a half years. And when I came out the other side, I just wondered, well, what happens to those people who don't have friends who are supporting them, who don't know what books to read, who don't have uh, the ability to go to therapy? Like what happens to them? And I know when I was heartbroken, I was searching desperately for a place I could go where people could understand me versus this mentality of, well, just get over it. Um, and 
And I wanted to just get the attention I needed for the type of heartbreak I was having. And there was nothing out there. So I decided to start the world's first breakup boot camp. And it's been about seven years. Right. And if you look at, I was looking through the numbers on uh, your website, I think it was something like, and I feel free to fact check me on this, I think it was something like 99% of people found it helpful. So clearly it's doing uh, a great amount of good for people. Yeah, we we do we survey everyone and we have them do an assessment before they attend and we like look at their levels of anxiety, depression, optimism and you know just even physically seeing these people on when they first come to the retreat they're they're hunched over, they're not making eye contact <laughs> and by the end of it even halfway through you just see them very different. They are feeling safe they're feeling connected back to their themselves again and you know even if they don't take any tool away i think just that glimmer of like oh i could feel this way again is enough for someone to have some hope which i think when you're so heartbroken that is the hardest thing you don't think the pain's going to end you think you're going to be in this devastated state forever and that's a very scary place to be for sure and you mentioned some of the i guess mental health issues that arise from a heartbreak you mentioned the depression anxiety you mentioned in yourself uh, suicidal thoughts i would imagine that one of probably the main predictors of suicide would be broken failed relationships um, and I was kind of thinking, uh, because what you just talked about there, that really mirrors a lot of what I've seen in my own life with my own friends. Um, you know, people after a breakup, they become depressed. They, they can make some of the, I've seen people make some of the strangest decisions in the aftermath of yeah. breakup decisions. You know, no, no sane or rational people would make. Um, so I kind of would just love to ask you, why does uh, a breakup hurt so much? Yeah. You know, what's interesting with heartbreak is no one can escape it. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how powerful you are. It is going to come and get you. <laughs> and so, um, and, and it's a really natural thing, right? Like we are social, social beings. And when we have our romantic partner, um, this is like our tether and they've actually done scans of the brain of someone who's newly separated and they saw that the part of the brain that lit up was the same part as a drug user fiending for their next fix and so the the assumption is when you're going through a heartbreak you're literally going through withdrawal and if you think about just what's happening in your body you used to have this person which was um, you know, your, your attachment, it was your source of all those feel good chemicals, dopamine, oxytocin. And after a breakup, it's gone. And even though on a cognitive level, you know, it's over your body doesn't your body's in shock and is going, what the hell's going on? Go get me those chemicals. And it's going to drive you to do things in order to reestablish that connection, um, even if it's not good for you. And so it's gonna, that's the reason why you're going to wanna check their social media or check the new person they're with, their Instagram. Like you'll do all these things that seem completely illogical because your body's like, go get me that dopamine. I need that fix. And so, yeah, it's, it's like, um, it's kind of like breaking a leg, right? We understand that if you break your leg, you go to the doctor, you're probably going to get a cast. You you don't run a marathon right away. But for some reason with heartbreak, there's still this idea of like, well, you know, just get over it or, you know, just time heals all wounds. Like you don't need to do anything. No, absolutely not. Like grief is something that needs to be respected and there's a cycle. And if you think you can bypass that cycle by distracting yourself avoiding dating a bunch of other people uh it's that's what you call baggage and it's going to continue to follow up with you and it's going to show up in your other relationships right and, and it's, as you were saying i was thinking about um one of my friends that completely anecdotally but um he had this fountain pen that he loved and uh, he was like a, a a beautiful fountain pen he said he could write fantastically on pieces of paper and he used this fountain pen practically every day at work for about two years. 
And then in the end, the pen basically gave way. And he said afterwards, he had a real depression, you know, that the pen had gone. And you think to yourself, well, if that's how someone reacts about a pen, imagine the person that you spend kind of every night with. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that that example that um, you give was, uh, you know, pretty telling. And that clearly shows that if the areas of the brain uh, kind of mirrors that of a heroin addict or a drug addict, um, then I kind of also think to myself that about how heartbreak can uh, also hold people back in the present. And one example I was thinking about was um, I know someone that went on a date with another person. And as she was on this date, uh, I think it might have been the first or second date, the guy brought up his ex-girlfriend a number of times. And uh, she told me that one of the reasons that this put her off was because the way in which he described it, she said that she had the kind of feeling that his ex-girlfriend, to use her words, had kind of defeated him. So it kind of also shows that it's not an attractive thing to potential new partners if it's kind of holding you back, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, and I think what, you know she probably sensed was this this guy was still in a relationship with his ex mm. right because if you are still blaming your ex vilifying your ex hoping for your ex to change psychoanalyzing your ex you are still in a relationship with your ex you're just in a relationship with someone who's not in a relationship with you because <laughs> there's an emotional charge there yeah. and so when someone is actually over their their ex it's not that they don't have some sort of um you know they might think fondly of them they might think of them and like oh you know not not my cup of tea but there isn't this emotional charge that's that's keeping them hooked and so yeah that's what i mean by baggage is like if you don't deal with it it's going to stay within you and it's going to come out in these conversations when you have new dates yeah absolutely so kind of let i love to just talk about that there because um you've kind of alluded to it so far but there's a load of as we would say old wives tales about uh what to do in the aftermath of breakups go around and as many people have, have if you would say to get over someone you just get under someone someone else mm-hmm. you feel about things like distraction about staying busy so i wonder kind of what are some of the worst advice uh that you've heard given surrounded what people can do in in the aftermath of a breakup. Yeah, I think a big myth is that time heals all wounds. Mm. And what I found working with the heartbroken for over almost seven years is that, you know, when people come to breakup boot camp, they they think they're coming just because of their ex. And it's never just about the ex. There's recycled pain. Right. When I look at my story of why I completely crumbled after my breakup, and at the time I didn't have the tools or the awareness. So I blamed everything on my my ex. Um, but really that was a bandaid that ripped off of all of the other wounds I never dealt with, especially the one with my father. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there is a a very normal amount of grief that happens when the person you love, your best friend, that relationship is over. But then there's another layer of grief for those who have these old wounds, usually from childhood or from past relationships that weren't dealt with of, I'm not good enough. I'll never meet someone at my age or in my city, whatever those limiting beliefs are. And and so if we don't do the work to shine a light on what are those old wounds and patterns that have been kicking around for probably years, if not decades, those wounds don't magically disappear. And that is why you see people repeat the same mistakes the same patterns over and over again with different people and so with the work that i do it's i yes we work on helping people get through that acute pain but most importantly is diving into their own patterns and their own wounds and helping them with healing that so that they don't just repeat the same thing so i think that's one big one time doesn't heal all wounds yeah that's super interesting and logan yuri uh she came on the show and i interviewed her and she said Similar to, she said, it's it's a myth. She said, time doesn't heal all wounds. Meaning heals all wounds. Mm. Which I I think perhaps kind of what she was illustrating there was very similar to you. It was kind of that it can be, uh, you can almost become kind of an alchemist and you can take that pain and perhaps turn it into something beautiful. You can look inwards and I guess kind of what you were describing there, 
look back at, you know, for instance, why was I attracted to this person? What are the things that I can do? So in some ways it can also become, I guess, an opportunity, a break of yeah. For sure. Right. And I, I mean, I look at myself, I thought that my breakup was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Mm. And, you know, fast forward, I would have never thought that it would be the catalyst for me to start a breakup boot camp, to write a book, to leave my corporate job, to leave Vancouver, move to New York. I didn't think of any of those things. So yes, I do think that it could be definitely a catalyst for you to, to really change your life. Um, you know, something I say in the book is sometimes a breakup is the shakeup you need to redirect your life. And I also think that there are tools that you can utilize to help you with that because you can also spiral into the other direction, which is you are a victim of what happens. And um, your all of your focus and your energy goes towards hating your ex or being stuck in the shoulds. They should have done this. They should do that. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, another myth could be also uh, when I talk about how people spiral is this idea that your ex needs to give you closure. Um, and I know that this is debated, but I find that if you think that your ex is going to give you closure, you will be on this chase. That's just a, a, a cycle because you're actually not looking for closure. You're looking for relief from the pain. So after a breakup, you are in pain because of, sure, they might have done terrible things. Uh, you're in pain because of the separation. You miss the person. And so you want relief from that. But you might think, oh, it's only they gave me an apology. It's only they gave me more explanation, whatever it is. Sure, you'll get it. when you get that, it doesn't make that pain of the loss go away. And so I think we need to kind of, instead of focusing on getting closure from some external source, um, which is very disempowering, is what are things that you could do to start moving forward? And having compassion for yourself, I think is a very is a very first step because you cannot get to a place of forgiveness if you don't have compassion for yourself, because compassion for yourself then leads to compassion for another person, which then leads to the possibility of forgiveness. I, I love the point that you made about uh, closure. And and I feel, again, this so many times when people say, oh, you know, I just want to meet my ex for for some closure. And really, I think it's just a way of kind of saying, you know, I, I'm missing them a little bit. And sometimes I've also thought to myself that really, you know, no matter what happened, if they broke up with you, closure in many ways is overrated because the only closure you need is the fact that they they don't want to be in a relationship with you. But that is really tough. That can be really, really tough to accept. But that that is closure in and itself, right? Yeah. Um, I would love to kind of ask if if someone has been um broken up with, and particularly I guess if it's uh an unexpected breakup they you know sounded like yourself you you thought that this was going to be the relationship with your life you were planning your lives out together what can someone do if if you know they're going through the breakup and it's really really knocked their self-confidence uh because i've seen people that were super super confident super outgoing they go through a breakup and they start overthinking every sentence they they become kind of a shell of themselves yeah uh what, what could someone do there yeah, so I, I think a very practical tool for people um, is to really look at the stories that they're creating. Um, there's an activity we do at Breakup Bootcamp where before anyone comes, they have to write out the relationship narrative. So as if they're telling a friend for the first time what happened, all the details, whatever it is. And then when they come, I teach them about what's called cognitive distortions, which are... Um, you know, human beings are privy to these kind of thinking traps, which cause us to distort reality. And uh, these distortions call, amplify stress and anxiety and depression. And so there's a bunch of different ones from um, uh, generalize, generalizing. So, you know, maybe one person cheated on you and suddenly you think all men cheat or yeah. all women are like this. Um, dogs. <laughs> yeah. Black or white thinking is another yeah. one uh, where if you use words like all, never, 
um, always like this always happens to me. I'm never going to. These are actually they're not truthful. A, a huge one that happens after breakups is um, should thinking. So this idea that there there's these like rules that you have in your mind of how people um, should be behaving and your happiness or your sense of peace is contingent on these shoulds and that's what a lot of people get caught up in like or even themselves I should have done this and then the relationship would have been fine they should give me closure whatever it is it's not realistic you're not being grounded in reality so I have people then after understanding these lists of cognitive distortions and you can look them up it's also in my book then go back into their original story and circle all of them and you'll see, like, there's a few go-to thinking traps we generally tend to do. Um, and then after rewrite the story with only the facts and without the fiction, without the assumptions, the thinking traps, the judgments, and you'll find that you have a story that's a lot more neutral and grounded in reality. I think that's a very first step because if you're not in reality, you create weaving these stories and our our memory, they are totally terrible. Every time you recall a memory, you change it. Mm -hmm. So if you are in the midst of pain and you recall that memory of your ex doing this, it's going to shift a little bit. And then you recall it again, it's going to shift again a little bit. So if you keep shifting it into this direction where you're the victim of the story, you will continue getting further and further down that path. So it's extremely important that we don't feed these narratives that are not serving us. I, I love that. And I'd love to pick up on on uh, the things you said. But the, and one point that kind of comes to my mind is that uh, one of my friends went through a terrible, terrible heartbreak. I think he was seeing the girl for about eight or nine years. And um, and afterwards, it's very similar to what you said. He had these cognitive distortions. I should have done this. I should have done this. Yeah. Uh, and he saw her, I guess, in kind of rose-tinted glasses, you know, afterwards. He saw her as this kind of perfect uh, person afterwards. So going forward in his relationships, every time that he'd have an argument or that something would come up, he would write it down kind of in like a, a diary event. So in the aftermath, if he went through a breakup again, he would have a factual book to look back on. And he'd write on the good and the bad stuff. And he would say, you know, I can no longer take my mind as what I say is crazy. Because as you said, clearly it will distort yeah. our images of the past they'll make people seem better than they are or as worse than we are yeah I, I think you raised such an excellent point is there's two major paths that people take after breakup they either vilify their ex which we talked about or what like you mentioned they put them on a pedestal and the reason we do this is there's actually uh in psychology, there's two terms. So there's one called positivity bias, where our brain suddenly uh, sees the only the good and forgets like the bad. And then there's something called fading effect bias, where there might have been a negative event, but we forget the feelings that came with that negative event. And um, this causes us to put our exes on a pedestal and suddenly we're like, you know, maybe it wasn't so bad. And then you rationalize things. Um, and also the missing is so much that you just forget all the reasons why it didn't work. So I think that's an excellent idea. If you have a tendency afterwards to kind of put your ex on a pedestal, write a list of all the reasons why it didn't work and review that list. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, I love this this method. And I was reading about kind of how you developed this method. I wonder if you could kind of talk to that about the different people you collaborated with and kind of all the effort and the insight that went into developing this, this kind of method. Yeah, every boot camp we bring in 12 different experts ranging from psychologists, behavioral scientists, sex therapists, we even bring in a dominatrix who has a PhD from Berkeley who <laughs> teaches on the psychology of power dynamics. And and that's because um something I noticed in the retreats was the people that came tended to be quite high achieving you know, powerful in their careers, but very disempowered in their relationships. So it was, it was as if their work self was very different from the self that they were in relationship. And we really wanted to understand the psychology of why. So we really dive into power. Um, we also bring in somatic healers. So um, 
there, we have emotions and trauma that's stuck in our body. So we have these exercises and sessions that help people release these stored emotions. Um, yeah, it's like a whole gamut of people, even like a nutritionist, because another thing is afterwards, people tend to not have an appetite um, or they eat really poorly. And so, it, you know, if you're the basics aren't met, like you're not eating, you're not sleeping, there's absolutely no way you could start healing your heart. Um, so we kind of have like the nutritionist there. We have like every kind of person you might need to help you to have like this holistic approach to recovery. Yeah, it sounds sounds absolutely amazing. And I, I can't let you go any further without talking about the uh, power side and you having quite high-powered people there. I'd be really, really interested to know if you could perhaps go a little bit deeper on that because I really piqued my, my interest. Yeah, so I would say um, the majority of people who come, I ask this question of who here identifies as being an overgiver. And most of, I would say 90% of the room will, will raise our hand. And so what happens is, especially with high achieving people, um, the people that come to break up bootcamp, at least what has happened is usually at a very young age, they learned that I'm not enough. And I'll use myself as an example, because I think I'm the prime example. I learned at a very young age that, um, I got attention only when I got good grades. Mm -hmm. And every time I got an A, I got money from my dad. But and also, you know, when he had these business dinners and I was like a very good, you know, sweet girl, then I got, you know, positive feedback. But that was it. And so I learned at a young age of like, oh, I'm not enough as I am only when I achieve and when I mold myself to be this version of what my father wants. And so I adapted to that um, and really became an overachiever. And I did really well in school and in my career. Um but it wasn't helpful in my relationships. Right. And so, you know, where the power imbalance was coming was this, this kind of wound from when I was young and I adapted to it as a child, having whatever resources that I had. And I continued this pattern into my adulthood without ever realizing what it was doing. And I would give, 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 and I wouldn't ever receive or I didn't trust people. And it really wreaked havoc in my relationships. It also changed power dynamics because I was constantly trying to edit myself in hopes that I would be enough. Um, so that's an example. We really look at, well, where does it come from, right? Where does the power balance come from? And how, do, how does it happen? Because the disempowerment comes, it's like death by a thousand cuts. It doesn't happen like first date. You're like, yeah, I'm going to suddenly not have any hobbies. I'll stop seeing my friends and I'll base my whole schedule around you. It doesn't happen that way. It happens that you know, that, that third date where you're like, oh, you know, they're busy. So I better just not make plans on the weekend in case they have an opening or, oh, I have plans, but they only messaged me last minute. I'm just going to cancel my friends, right? It's those death by a thousand cuts and you, you do this one by one and gradually you get to a point where you are so enthralled by this person and you feel like you have no power in it and you feel a little bit stuck you don't know where to go right so and i know in your method you look at the scientific and the spiritual which i love by the way um so i wonder perhaps if we could kind of look at i guess just for instance in your case you know deep down you have this wound there perhaps thinking i'm not enough um, and it's not obviously something that most people think consciously, but it could well be there if it goes back quite a long way. So how does uh, one begin to heal those wounds, I guess? Mm. I, I think that the very first step is having an awareness, right? Mm. And I know it can be very overwhelming when you're like, well, I have so many, you know, things wrong with me. And like, <laughs> I, I look at it, like, look yeah. at one to two things that you want to work on. Um, maybe you have uh, a lot of anxiety um, and you have an anxious attachment style. And I could talk about attachment theory if you'd like as well. Um, or it's these, these limiting beliefs, or you keep dating unavailable people. And so look at what is the pattern that's happening and your past relationships. This is where I really encourage people to put on their like scientist, scientist hat is extract the data because there's information there for you. And if you just glaze over it, you'll just keep repeating it. So like, are you dating unavailable people? Okay, so you can notice that 
the last three people were unavailable. You kept pining for their time and you kind of keep going a layer deeper. Like, well, why is that? Why is that? Who did I have to be for my father? Who did I have to be for my mother? And there's like an actual exercise I have in my book, which takes you through identifying what are these unconscious beliefs that are causing us to feel the way that we do. And there's a framework on how you can start shifting those beliefs kind of one degree at a time, because you can't go from I'm not enough to like, everyone loves me. Your brain will reject what inherently does not believe it's true. That's why when you see on Instagram, all these like crappy, you know, advice, I'm like, just say positive mantras. It doesn't work. It actually can do more damage. Right. And so the way that it works is you, you shift your, your belief one degree. So I'm not enough might shift to, there are some people I trust that, appreciate me for who I am and you, you you kind of shift it you find evidence of that being true once that new belief kind of sits well you're like okay yeah then you shift it again but you do this process through a period of time until you actually change the belief right and I guess you raise a really good point there that this stuff I guess will show up the unconscious will I guess manifest itself in actual results if deep down you think that i'm not enough you, that will manifest itself perhaps in the partners that you choose um, so I, I wonder um you know because this is something that i think most people uh have encountered or most people know someone that has encountered this way um you know they they might be or they might know someone that is becomes really attracted to uh I don't like using the word, but let's just call them toxic types. Yeah. <laughs> right. And for instance, I, I know someone that um, she's a doctor and she's only attracted to surgeons. She has mm -hmm. a, a thing where she says, you know, I want to marry a surgeon. And that's that's really her criteria. And, um, you know, no uh, disrespect to any surgeons out there, but they tend to have a certain uh, personality type, which doesn't tend to make for the best relationships, uh, or so I'm told. Again, no disrespect to any surgeons. I dated there. a surgeon. It's not surgeon. fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> um, so I would love to kind of know uh, why do uh, people, I guess, choose p partners that perhaps are, are just no good for them? Yeah, there's a, a, a theory called attractions of deprivation, which explains how we are drawn to people who can wound us in a very familiar way to how we're wounded in childhood or in past experiences. Um, and our our subconscious, our, our psyche subconsciously tries to recreate the scenario of the crime in an attempt to change its ending. So for example, for me, um, you know, I grew up with an unavailable father. He was an entrepreneur. He was very charismatic. And I grew up only wanting to date people who were tech entrepreneurs. <laughs> and I'm like, no, if you have like a nine to five job, I'm not into you. Like <laughs> you had to be a tech entrepreneur. You had to um, constantly, you know, be traveling on the world, having a sliver of time and maybe giving me a little bit. And then I would feel so lucky. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't see that there was a pattern, but there really was. And it's the emotional experience, which is exactly the same, right? That me pining for the time, me trying to edit myself, me trying to be perfect was the same experience I had with my father, Human beings are drawn to what is familiar. It's across the board, whether it's food, music, or romantic partners. And so I, I think that if you have a tendency to date people where they're toxic or it just hasn't worked out for you, there's likely an attraction of deprivation there. And it is extremely important for people to, I call it your, your chemistry compass, uh, which is like your internal GPS that points you in the direction of who you're drawn to and who you're disgusted from. And a lot of the times our chemistry compass is broken. It's not that you are broken, it's your chemistry compass. Um, so that's why you want to start dating, consciously dating people who are very different. You optimize for different things right. like kindness, like empathy. And in the beginning, it's going to feel very weird to you because you're like, it's so foreign that like, oh, it's boring or I don't like it. But as you get used to being treated well, it starts to change your chemistry compass because being treated well starts to become familiar to you. Right. right. So even if someone's listening to this and they would say, you know, uh, I, I'm only interested in just, for instance, surgeons. But there's a guy, uh, I don't know, he works in uh, leisure or hospitality. 
but he treats me really well, but I'm just not attracted to him. What you're saying there is, uh, or maybe physically they're attracted to him, but perhaps they don't have as much chemistry as they do with, with a surgeon. It could still be worth going on a date with this person, trying to find the good in them, and then trying to re-navigate your chemistry compass. Yeah, I, I think that the people you feel this 10 out of 10 chemistry with, especially like if you have a history of, of not having success in your relationships, that's typically um, a red flag, not a green light. It's right. it's really your 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 subconscious almost has a radar for detecting people who can wound you in a very familiar way. And sometimes it could be a trauma bond. Um, so I think we need to really deprioritize those 10 out of 10 chemistry. It's not a sign for you to keep going. Um, and I think that if you're like zero chemistry at all, like you can't stand being with the person or you feel disgust, no, don't go on another date. But if it's like you feel a connection of like, oh, like I'm having fun. Oh, yeah, I want to see them again. Then, yes, that's all you need to think about in your first three dates. Those two questions. And like, go again, because there's something called the mere exposure effect, which the more you're exposed to someone, the more amplifies the root feeling. And so if it's discussed, it's going to amplify discuss. But if it was a connection, it can very well amplify that connection. And sometimes the brain cognitively takes time to process what type of connection it is. Is it romantic or platonic? You do not know when you don't know someone. I love that. I love that. And we've been talking, I guess, a lot just now about um, perhaps healing from old wounds, whether that's you just come up with a breakup or whether that's, you know, wounds that go back to your childhood. Um, for people listening to this now, and I wonder the people that go to your breakup uh, boot camp, is it the case that we should wait until we're completely healed, if there's such a thing, before we enter a new relationship? Or is it something where we can heal within the confines of a new relationship? I don't think there's a, a, such a thing as completely healed um in anyone right i mean i've done so much work and i'm still healing from stuff but there was a pandemic i'm healing from that we're constantly healing <laughs> yeah. um so yeah. i think that there is a period of time where it's wise to not jump into something else because you've just got to get your own house in order right like um you want to see the root of why you're doing things if you're trying to jump into something else because it's going to distract you from the grief I think that's not a wise decision because you're not completing the grief cycle. Um, but it is okay. You can you can feel multiple things. You could feel sad that this relationship didn't work out and feel excited for someone else. But I think the key thing is if you were to go on a date and sometimes the only way to tell is to just try it. And if it doesn't work, which typically your first date after breakup is usually not going to be the best. And it's, and you feel completely destroyed afterwards and you've taken 10 steps back, continue your focus on your own self-healing. But if you can go on a date and it doesn't work and you're like, oh, like that was okay. It shows like you have some resilience. Like then, yeah, sure, maybe try it again. But it's going to be different for every single different person. Um, and I think you need to just kind of test it out yourself and and be really honest with yourself. Yeah, I, I love that point. I love that point. I'd love to kind of take it back to... Um breakups and kind of when i um uh told a few friends that we were going to have this conversation um uh, i i was told about this one story about this guy um and uh he's was in a relationship i think for a number of years uh the relationship ended it was you know they obviously had to go through the pain of the breakup never fun and uh he is now engaged uh he seems to be very happy with with this woman and uh, but he said that you know occasionally he'll still think about his ex not necessarily in, in a you know painful way sometimes he'll think about it sexually um but i think for for most people kind of as soon as he said that i think that the people around kind of had a, a visceral reaction almost as if it was kind of a, a taboo to still think about your ex years later after breakup um almost as if one goes through amnesia and uh, they can just completely forget about them uh, but i'd love to kind of ask your thoughts on this about um how does one know that they are over their ex and perhaps is it still normal to think about your ex months years after after on yeah i mean i don't think that there's anything wrong that you yeah. think about your ex um 
I think it depends, right? Like if you are sleeping with your current partner and fantasizing about your ex, it's a totally different story. But like mm. you, you had love with someone. And if it's real love, love doesn't just go away, right? You might not act on that love. You might not be in relation with that person, um, but there's still love there. Like the ex I talk about, why I started Breakup Bootcamp, we're very good friends. I just had dinner with him and his wife the other day. I love him. I don't have a sexual love for him or romantic love, but it's almost like a familial like love. Um, and so I think it's sad when we look at our past partners and we feel disgust. Like I, I wish that that doesn't happen. I wish that we could look back at our partners and, and feel fond and, and respect that whatever we went through, that it was um, character building at the time and we needed to do so. But yeah, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I, I think that it's just like if you get married and you're like, oh, suddenly you don't feel attraction towards anyone. That's completely not realistic. You can see someone be like, oh, that's an attractive person. Appreciate that person and still love the heck out of your partner. Um, yeah, it's just not so black and white. We're very complex human beings. Yeah, I, I love that point. And I also love... Um what you said about uh you know you went for for dinner with your ex i i'm really interested to ask you uh because this seems to have varying schools of thoughts on about how to approach the relationship with your ex after a breakup some people will ardently say cut all contact don't be friends um and, and perhaps there's some value of that in the aftermath um but you know, you just said, but you know, you you love your ex. You went out for for dinner with him and his wife. How should we perhaps think about the rules of uh, an enge of engagement with an ex after a breakup? Yeah. So immediately afterwards, I a hundred percent cut off contact. If you co-parent or you have shared animals or something like that, you want to keep any communication neutral. So you don't want to pick fights with them. You also don't want to share good news with them um, because you need those neural pathways in your brain to start pruning away. And if you continue right. to have conversations with them, it doesn't allow that to happen. There has to be a period of time where you allow your, your brain and your body to... Um, transition from a relationship that was romantic and intimate in nature nature to platonic and if you blur the line right away it it's way too confusing a lot of people tend to especially the person who breaks up tend to want to stay friends because what happens is they get all of the emotional benefits of you know that companion that best friend that person they could share their you know whatever with without the commitment of the relationship so they almost want the boyfriend girlfriend experience without the commitment and responsibility do not allow that to happen right. um but you know after a period of time and i think a good gut check is if you were to see that person walk in with a new partner and you would be okay with it maybe even happy for them i think that really shows that you're in a place where the dynamic has changed. And for some people that might take shorter. I mean, it took for me five and a half years, right? I, to become friends with my ex. It wasn't an immediate thing. And the only reason why it happened was I kept seeing him in friend circles and eventually we became friends. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you just have to be really honest with yourself because after breakup, your brain is going to do all these things to try to lie to you so that you could actually make contact. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I also, uh, I've heard so many stories about people that go through a breakup uh, that they didn't want to happen. And, you know, they'll do everything to try to get their ex back. And in many cases, it can even push their ex away even more. Um, and then they, as you said, they have a period of no contact. They begin to heal. They do this. And then for some reason, their ex will come back to them. Yeah. It happens a lot. So, you know, like, I, especially people who... Um, yeah, I see it a lot. Like I, I work with a lot of clients where they had a partner who broke up with them in the middle of a fight. Um, and then after they calmed down, they're like, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry, like, and whatnot. So like, yeah, you have to also, I think, really understand, like, if you are to get back together with this person, what would be different? Um, and what is the action plan 
that's going to happen so that things can be different. And I would say you give a timeline and, and parameters to know that things are actually going to be different this time around. Otherwise you're just repeating the same thing. and wasting another year or two. Hmm. I perhaps I'm, I'm uh, overly skeptical about this, but I've not seen many cases of perhaps exes getting back together and they're actually working out. Mm. I'm not saying um, it can't happen, but I... Yeah, know. I think that in the cases that it does work out, there's actually quite a, a period of time where both people kind of did their own growing and, you know, sorted out some of their stuff and then they come back. But when they come back, it's almost like two different people, right? It's like a 2.0 version and they're starting a brand new thing. But if you are breaking up, getting back together, breaking up, getting back together, those typically do, do I have not seen work out. Yeah. Amazing. I, I love that. So I wonder if we could just kind of go back to perhaps uh, just to perhaps tie the loop on uh the immediacy after heartbreak. So you mentioned that you advise your clients, um, you know, straight after we're, uh, we're writing down our cognitive distortions and I'll put a, a link uh, in the description for people. Uh, we're kind of going through that with some neutrality. Um, we're looking inwards, you know, uh, we're trying to perhaps build the path of alchemy and trying to perhaps even see it as an opportunity. Uh, what are some other things that perhaps people can do? Um. There's one, something that really helps people is, um, I, I have people do both in my bootcamp and in the book, I have them do what's called like the pie exercise. And this is something used in cognitive behavioral therapy, um, where you draw a circle and in that circle, you draw out slices of pie and you show what slice of that circle represents how much time heart space, head space, you had devoted to your relationship while you were in it. And often what I see is like that slice of pie is like 70% was the we, the relationship. And then you show like, what are the slices that were devoted to other things like hobbies, friends, community, and those slices are quite small. And so after a breakup, when you're completely devastated, you keep thinking about your ex. Well, if you look at that circle, that's 70% that you need to now fill up. Because if you don't fill it up consciously and strategically, you will fill it up with thoughts of your ex. And so you create a new circle. And, and this circle is your ideal pie, which is the one you refer to even when you get into another relationship. Because 70% devoted to the relationship is very codependent. It's not healthy. And so, and there's also probably slices that you completely forgot. Or the friends thing, you're like, oh, forget it. I'm in this thing. It's so amazing. I don't need to see my friends. And it really helps you recalibrate balance in your life. Um, and you might want to add new slices there, like community, giving back, learning a new hobby. And one thing that's super helpful for people is to learn a new hobby, something that they're not good at. So there, there's a learning curve, whether it's dancing, whether it's playing guitar, because what happens is you get a positive feedback loop once you start getting a bit better. And it takes up that part of the brain, which is normally going to be used for rumination. Um, and if you don't fill it with something new, like a new hobby, a new passion to get obsessed over, that passion just becomes obsession over your ex. It's just energy that's misguided. Yeah, I I love, love that point so much. And uh, yeah, I I think there's been so, so much value in you. And uh, when, when we put up a, a, a story on Instagram, um, uh, the other day kind of asking for what questions that people want to know, someone um, replied to it and uh, they said, um, it was something to the extent, you know, said, what do you want to know about her? And they said something like, um, you know, I feel like I've lost my soulmate. I'm in so much pain. So clearly this is stuff that is so real. Most people, if not everybody, will kind of go through this stuff. Um, so I absolutely love it. I kind of love to just flip the um, flip the kind of switch on this and, and ask for people, I guess, that have, you know, they've gone through the heartbreak. They've had the period of grieving. Um, they've looked inwards, you know, they haven't given in to just get under somebody new or do this or do that or time heals or, um, and now they kind of look into to move on. What would perhaps 
what would you advise someone to do if they were looking to perhaps get better at finding love or perhaps even become more attractive to the opposite sex? Um, I would say that the biggest blocker that I see with my clients when I'm helping them with dating again is uh, this idea of a type and it's in their head. And they, this person might look a certain way. They might be a certain height. They might have a certain type of a job. And or they have magical thinking of the one and that they'll meet someone they'll just know. And this is really, you know, it's not your fault if you think this way. You've been brainwashed since you were a child watching Disney. fairy tales, <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. Um, and it might be different for Gen Z who's watching, you know, things like Finding Nemo versus Snow White. Um, but those storylines still exist, you know a lot in our in our songs and our culture and it really screws you over because it's not a realistic look on love and you know this magical thinking is is really limiting because the right partner for you might look very different the package you you might not know how it's going to look like. And so if you set out looking for this package, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Or like I mentioned before, you'll have, you'll just do this whole attractions of deprivation thing. You'll keep repeating the same thing. And so really people, it's about opening the mind and opening the heart. Well, what the hell does that mean? Because people say, I want a relationship. And then their mentality is like, oh no, not that person. Oh no, I don't want to be set up. Oh no, I hate online dating. You have a no mentality. I can recognize you're not actually wanting a relationship. Your head, your head and your heart are saying two different things. If you are actually wanting a relationship, your actions need to match. Meaning you are open to going on dates. You're willing to uh, put yourself out there. You're willing to treat it as like something that you have to do to reach a goal, right? It's like, I hear people say, I hate dating. You know, I don't want to do it. And I'm like, okay, well, it's the same thing as if you want to go to Bali. You want to go to Bali. It's a pain in the ass. You have to go get your visa. You got to pack. You got to take three flights. And then you got to, you know, go through traffic for two hours. But you do all of that because eventually you get to the destination. You go to Bali, you're on the beach, you're like, ah, oh, it was worth it. The same thing happens with dating. You do all these things, not because you love the process, right? Just like the airport process of going to Bali, but you do it because it's getting you to a point. And part of that means building your dating skills. Um, I, I started another program called Dating Mastery, where I teach people actual skills on how to date. Um, and it's, combination of things from like how do you build connection how do you assess if someone is worth going on another date with um and so yeah there's a bunch of different skills that you can learn and if you hate dating it's because you haven't learned the skills because when you learn the skills you get better at it and you're like oh this is actually quite fun right and probably the better that you get at dating the uh the sooner that you get to stop yeah for sure <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I think that's fantastic advice. Um, so I would kind of, we've kind of touched on, I guess, perhaps what to do um, in, uh, you know, the aftermath of a breakup. We've kind of gone, I guess, right through the cycle. I guess we just kind of finished off with perhaps relationships and uh, a question which has come up and it would be, how do I know if the person that I'm with, the relationship that I'm in is one that is worth keeping how would i kind of conceptualize that uh i think for if it's a long-term partnership that you want whether you're already in one or you want one i look at it as like um there's four main pillars that you need to have one is chemistry one is compatibility meaning there's an alignment of values and vision one is timing the perfect person at the wrong time is the wrong person right now the fourth is, and this is one a lot of people overlook, is mutuality, meaning two people are equally invested in building. If you only have one person who's like, I'm going to do all the things, I'm going to do the therapies, I'm going to, and the other person's just like, I'm just going to sit back, that power imbalance continues to grow. If you only have, you know, three of those four pillars, that house that it's being built on is on shaky ground. Um, and what I've noticed, because I work with people in the aftermath is that typically it's a matter of time when the whole house falls down, you need all four. And so I think you need to look at your current relationship and say, do you have those things? And if not, are you both willing and able to work on those things? Um, and I think the second thing is, is understanding that there is something called sunk cost fallacy. And 
uh, you know, it's explains how human beings, we keep putting bad, good money after a bad deal. It's used a lot in the stock market, but it also happens in relationships. We stay in a relationship because of what we've already invested, the years, the therapy, whatever it is, even though we're miserable, even though we're clearly not a match for each other and our stress is off the charts constantly, they're chronic problems, not blips. And Instead, looking at present and future value. And if you were to make the same decision right now today, knowing what you know, knowing that they're not going to change, your happiness cannot be contingent on their changing, would you choose this person again? And that could be a helpful question for you to get to a place to understand if you should stay or if you should go. I love that. I love that. Um, I just got a couple of quick fire questions just to sign off with um, uh, that we kind of ask at the end of all our podcasts. Uh, the first question would be, you obviously wrote a fantastic book. You've created a lot of great content, which we will link everyone to below. You can just swipe right up and get it all. Um, my question to you, um, Amy, would be, have there been any books which have greatly impacted your life on the journey that you've been on? Yeah, um, I think any book from Pia Melody. So she wrote Facing Codependence, Love Addiction, super helpful on understanding your wounds. I think if you don't know about attachment theory, the book Attached is extremely helpful. Um, and anything from Ron Tatkin, if you're in a relationship, really helps you get uh, with skills on how to build a strong partnership. Amazing. Um, one question that I would have would be, based on everything that you know, everything that you've read, if you could distill perhaps one short uh, but perhaps impactful piece of advice from, could be about breakups, it could be about finding love, could be about anything related to your work. What would uh, Amy Chan's advice be? Yeah, I think um, our greatest lesson in this lifetime is to practice opening our hearts, even when it hurts, especially mm -hmm. when it hurts. So even if you are heartbroken, if you're disappointed after that date, the tendency is to want to close up to put gates around your heart, to not trust, to have these generalizations that people are bad or whatever it is. You have to fight that urge and open it up. You have the tools, you have the resources where you don't have to react like how you had to when you were a child and you were hurt and wounded. And it is such a disservice to yourself and the world when you close up that heart. And it's a practice. And um, the more you practice, the, the easier it gets. Really beautifully said. And uh, my last question today, Amy, for you before uh, I ask you to sign off and, uh, you know, tell these guys where they can connect with you and everything is question we sign off all our podcasts with. And that is what makes a life worth living? A life worth living is one where you, you give generously your heart, mind, spirit and soul. And however that is, whether it's growing a beautiful flower garden, whether it's having children, whether it's having a beautiful relationship, whether it's writing a blog about this painful experience of a breakup and another person can feel a little less alone. Mm -hmm. It is getting outside of just yourself and zooming out on like, how can I make some contribution to help? Um, and we all have that in us. And that is the most healing thing. I love it. I love it. Amy, where can these guys connect with you and where would you like our audience? What would you like our audience to check out? Yeah. My website's renewbreakupbootcamp.com. Uh, my book is Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Ryan Your Heart. And my Instagram is at Miss Amy Chan. We will link everything below. Amy, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I know there'll be a lot of people out there where no matter what part of I guess the relationship phase they're on. Some people like the pe people that mesh us on Instagram are really hurting. Some people are perhaps at the end of that cycle and are looking to find love. And I think you've brought such great value for people no matter where they are. So thank you so, so much for coming on. Thanks so much, Joe. This was great. That is all for episode 249 of the Freedom Pack podcast with Amy. To all the people listening to this now that are going through heartbreak, that are grieving over an ex, or maybe that you're in the middle of a dating process, trying to find the right person, I hope that this episode proved to be some relief and of some benefit to you. If you have any comments 
or you wish to chat with us or Amy further, there are some links down below. You can email us, you can contact us on Instagram at Freedom Pact. Amy's Instagram handle is down below. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would consider leaving us a five-star rating, that would truly mean the world to us. Until next time, my friends.